listeners, it's Taylor. Before we kick off, we want you to know that the opinions and discussions that take place on Lace and Debauchery do not reflect the opinions of The Rip Bodice in any way. Lace and Debauchery, as a podcast, is an affiliate of The Rip Bodice, which means we can earn a commission on the books we sell during our time as podcast hosts. You can find our affiliate link to buy romance books in every episode description, as well as on our website at laceadpodcast.com slash buy. Thanks for your time, and now for some debauchery. Hell yeah! decided that we were throwing out a lot of jargony words yeah there's a lot of jargon within the romance world and you know we've been deep in it for so long that i think we forget that not everybody right knows there's everything. like a there's a shorthand that comes with romance we throw around words like hea tropes subgenre genre honestly it is kind of fucking confusing yeah and so, we're going to give you a little breakdown of everything that you need to know for the romance genre as a whole. Yeah. So you can become an informed consumer. Exactly. Okay, well, what kind? Because there are so many different kinds that the kind that Piper prefers is not the same type of romance that I prefer. Yeah, I love a contemporary rom-com. That is my bread and butter, Taylor. I love fantasy, dark fantasy, dark romances in general. Yeah, yeah someone needs to be kidnapped or like, you know, like a looming threat of like violence, death, destruction. <laughs> looming threat of violence. Yeah. I can't enjoy myself unless something's about to go wrong, but then doesn't go wrong. Um, but yeah, like you might, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you watched You've Got Mail and you're like, I loved this movie and I don't know why. Well, after this, Hopefully, you're going to figure out that, you're going to figure out why exactly you like it. So, you know, you might like a Meg Ryan rom-com. You might like love with a side of suspense. Good thing is that we have something for all of it. Yes. And also, I think that one of the great things about romance and about erotica specifically is that it, it is a great and safe way to explore kink. Yes. There are so many, like, ethical porn production companies Mm -hmm. but i think with all of the mainstream porn it can make kink feel really really dangerous and really unsafe and it is a nice way to learn about your sexual preferences without necessarily putting yourself in a situation physically we just had a book club at the store and the the trope in the book that we read was it was a kidnapping trope so i guess like captive slash captor right and you know, pretty split down the middle in terms of people who were like, I liked this. And then people who were like, "Mm, I didn't like this. Uh But what was good was that no matter what, if you didn't like it and you didn't like it that much, you can just close the book and you never have to open it ever again. Right. And that in itself is safer than anything else. It's completely 100% safe way to engage. Also, this is to say, if you do porn, that does not make you unethical. All I was trying to say is like- the I don't know I feel like the stuff that you would see on like Pornhub or like the stuff that is so clearly made by men where you're like I don't know if this is fun yeah no exactly or like who is this for who is this for exactly who is this for but if you are a sex worker if you do porn good for you come on the pod we can talk about romance we can talk about sex oh my god the intersection of sex work and romance I think that's a fantastic idea. We have some pretty awesome tropes in our vault of our brain. Yes, in in the vault. In the vault. <laughs> Taylor, 
Piper and Taylor's version. I feel like we've read so much stuff. Just by the nature of being in the store, we have a lot of people come in and ask us for so many different things that even things that we would never read ourselves, only because there's so many things to read, Mm -hmm. we still know about them because we have to find them for other people as well. But I will say it's also awesome when someone comes in and asks us a question that stumps us. Yeah. Because then it's something that we keep our eye out for, whether that be on TikTok or just while we're browsing bookstores so that we know to look out for things. If you have thought of a trope that exists within your head that you really like, I assure you that it exists in some capacity in Mm -hmm. a book somewhere. And whether we can find it immediately or it's going to take us a little bit, we will still be able to find it for you because there's quite literally nothing that we haven't heard before oh yeah there's also like nothing that you could say that would we would be like oh my god that's depraved never never no 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 as piper mentioned she read three mafia books this week three Uh, three and they were dark you said they were dark they were dark and i knew that they would be dark i just didn't expect them to be that dark it was the fierce series by sadie kincaid and i really liked it this was a text i sent to my boyfriend the other day I just read the line, he fucks me harder. (laughs) I just read the line, he fucks me harder than he ever has before while he is soaked in the blood of the man he just killed for me with a straight face. And (laughs) my boyfriend said, honey, dot, 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 maybe take a break from the mafia romances after this one. Scott, you know nothing about about real love. You know nothing. And then he said- the blood of your enemies while we're fucking- Exactly. What's the point? What is the point? And then I said, why? And he said, not gonna lie, I know there are a lot of kinks, but murder kink seems not great. And I was like, well, babe, I guess you don't care about me because you wouldn't have sex with me after killing- My mortal enemy? My mortal enemy? I can't even remember who it was that he killed. You know, there's a book called- Wait, did you say Sophie Lark? No. No, you said who? Someone Kincaid. Sadie Kincaid. Sadie Kincaid. Sophie Lark did There Are No Saints, which is a serial killer romance. And there's murder- This is a great way to explain what a dark romance is. Yes, exactly. So you might ask yourself, the book that Piper just explained is filled with really dark concepts. You have sexual assault, you have murder, you have the mafia, mafia. (laughs) like a lot of things that you normally would be like, well, I don't know how that could be considered a romance, but it is because what makes up a romance? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about that. Two aspects, actually. That's really all that it comes down to. You need two things. The first is love needs to be needs to be the what main? Yeah, like the a plot. The a plot, right? Not a subplot. Though I will say, like sometimes with fantasy, yes, there's debate. But by and large, love is the a plot, the number one plot within the novel itself. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing. Piper, it has a happy ending. What we call an H-E-A. Which stands for happily ever after. So let's talk about some examples. I know that you have some written down of what constitutes a romance. Yes. Like Romeo and Juliet. Is that a romance? No. Why? Doesn't have a happy ending. It doesn't? No. They don't end up together? Spoiler. Well, mm, they do. (laughs) No. If both characters die at the end. (laughs) They're reunited. No. Normal people. No. Why? Well, not a happy ending. And also it's not the main, I wouldn't say, that one's tough because it jumps between like their lives separately, but then it's also all about how they find their way back to each other. Right. So that one is complicated. The Princess Bride. 
That's a romance. That is a romance. Because it ends happy, even though there are some times where you don't think it's going to end happy. Yes. I will say Piper did show me The Princess Bride for the first time, like, two months ago. Two months ago? Yeah. Uh, It was lovely. I have never seen a person look as stressed as Taylor was when Inigo Montoya and the six-fingered man are fighting. Oh my god, I was so stressed. She was like curled up and she was like, if he dies, we have to stop watching. If anything bad happened in The Princess Bride, I would, one, hold it against you for the rest of my life. And that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) I would accept that. And I would probably cry for about two weeks. Yeah, I just read Alone With You in the Ether by Olivier Blake. And dude, it's, I don't know if that, that one feels kind of like normal people, but less devastating. I don't know that it would fall into romance. It might, but it's so different. It doesn't read like a romance novel and it's so, it's so devastating, but so beautiful. And it has a happy ending and like a true happy ending, not like a happy for now. Yeah. Not like a redemptive, like, oh, but it's okay. Or like a Colleen Hoover. Yeah. Yeah. Colleen. Colleen, we love you. Just but stop breaking can you my write heart out. Something happy. happy? Just consistently I happy. I can't handle it. We can't take it. We will probably not review Colleen Hoover on this pod simply because we would both have to like quit our jobs and take several months to ourselves to recover. Okay. Even by Colleen Hoover standards, her books technically end... With an HEA, so we do consider them romances and we have them in the romance section of the store. But basically like modern romance demands a happy ending and it's not sorry about it. And I think that that's my biggest defense for the romance genre as a whole, because you're gonna tell me that the most successful, prolific, profitable literature genre in the world sells their audience a story that they already know the ending to. Yes. We know what the ending of this book is going to be every single time we pick up a romance book. And yet. And yet. I. They sell the most copies. They sell the most copies and every time there's something called a third act breakup which happens in most romance novels. It is something that I personally hate. And it is where, like, the couple gets into a big fight. It's the thing that pulls them apart before they ultimately end up together again. I get distressed. Highly distressed. When it happens. It is incredibly distressing because a lot of times they will leave it for the last, like, 50 pages. The the worst is when you're on the Kindle, when you're reading on your Kindle, (sighs) and it's, like, 89%. And so you're, like... I know it's coming. How is this going to (laughs) resolve? What's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we know how it's going to end. We do. There are no surprises because it follows a formula. And every single time people will buy and pick up and read a romance book in its entirety and be completely captivated the entire time. You can't do that with any other genre. No, you can't. And I think that it is so exciting when you see tropes and you see the way that writers play with them. Yeah. It's, I can't think of another genre where you would be like, oh, I love that they did the same thing that they did in this book. Like, it's so frowned upon, or even in like TV. I mean, like with Bridgerton, the tropes in Bridgerton with the first two books, the reason that the main couples have to get married is because they're both bound in compromising positions. And they changed it in the second book because they didn't want to do the same thing over again. But it's two different stories. Right. And you would you have two completely different sets of characters with two completely different motivations and different... A- absolutely. Yeah, affects and everything. And so obviously, like, Anthony 
is if he's forced to marry Kate for sucking her tit, like someone has <laughs> quite to. literally, like that's going to be fundamentally different than what happened in the first season with Simon um, and Daphne. Cause yeah. they were kissing because they like were into each other. Right. And Anthony's trying to save her life. So it's the same thing. They're both caught in, in compromising positions, compromising positions, but it leads to something else. Right. Exactly. And that's what makes it so fucking good. I mean, romance is such a brilliant genre, and I think you have to be really, really smart to write really good romance. That's also really true. You have to be so self-aware. And I mean, I think that's a big reason why a lot of the most successful romance authors are fucking lawyers. Yes. And they are all, like, these incredibly smart women who have done so many things. And then they're like, yeah, well, you know, I'm a lawyer, so, like, my job is to convince people of you know, X, Y, Z. So what's the difference with romance and trying to convince people that like, you know, these two characters who are in this odd situation that only exists in a novel and that they're going to fall in love and that you're going to believe it. Like in your bones. Like in your bones, you believe it. If they don't end up together, I'm going to walk into the sea. I was researching the history of romance Mm -hmm. because I was curious. Obviously, there are stories that go back to ancient Greece where... Like, probably 2004, too. Absolutely. Well, you know when the Earth was created 2,022 years ago? Yes. That were romances then. Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ. And Stephanie Meyer. And Stephanie Meyer. She was in the major. No, Edward was. Can you please get that (laughs) word? Edward Cullen is a disciple. Edward Cullen is Jesus. He's the baby in the major. I can see that. What's the baby? What if that's a romance? Okay, right? So there's a vampire, but he's like, you know, Jesus? I was Jesus, you know? How do you un Jesus? Unbe Jesus? Well, you know, he like, he like rises from the dead, right? It's right. Because they made him into a vampire. Okay. And then he's like, everyone's like, you, you've risen, you've risen. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm God. But it's actually just because he's a vampire. Right. But like time goes on. He's immortal. How did, how is he like? He runs away. Changes his name. Cuts his hair. To Edward Cullen. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Okay. So Edward says he's 110 years old. So he's lying. He's lying. Obviously. But he is a virgin the whole time. Yeah, he is. Before the time of Jesus Christ, there were other depictions of romance. The oldest love poem that I was able to find is one The thong song. Sorry. Oh my god. She... (laughs) Continue. The first love poem was a poem that a woman wrote to the emperor in ancient Mesopotamia. Basically being like, can I have your babies? (laughs) Which I think is just... Incredible. We have Calillary, which is an ancient Greek story that went on to inspire the Ephesian tale, which then went on to inspire Romeo and Juliet, Mm -hmm. which we know is written by Cisco. (laughs) And basically from there, you know, William Shakespeare came along, made it enjoyable for live audiences, whatever. And then as we come into modern day romance, we were met with two companies, mm-hmm. Harlequin and Avon. And I found this book called The Romance Revolution, Erotic Novels for Women and the Quest for a New Sexual Identity. Ooh. It was written by Carol Thurston in 1987. Let me check that out. There's two copies available at the LA Public Library and I was gonna go rent one of the copies on my way home Ooh. because I was only able to read certain pages of it online. Right. 
because it's an old book and it's also like an academic book so it's not easy you can't get it on kindle i don't think but it's a really really cool analysis into what made women want to read romance books and like them understanding acknowledging and then like fighting for their sexual identity within romance books absolutely so harlequin came about in like the mid 20th century okay and they started in canada and of course it was started by a man Ew. Yeah, totally terrible. He noticed that his wife was reading a lot of romances, mm-hmm. like pulp romances, and then he noticed that she would talk about it with her friends when the friends came over to talk mm-hmm. to her. And he was like, whoa, I gotta give one of these romance books a try. I monetize this. Yeah, right? And that's literally what happened. He's like, I'll give it a try. So he sits down to read a romance book. Doesn't sit down to read just any romance book, but one that is pretty gnarly. They don't tell you which one. They just tell you that it's pretty. it's a pretty explicit romance though i'm curious what explicit was then exactly because now you have tessa bailey who's having you guys fucking a church but fucking a church anyhow he read a pretty explicit one and was like oh there's something here and he literally ran a focus group with two different romance books Uh with a group of women one was a tame version and then one was an explicit version again this is 19 57. Oh my god. Which one did the women prefer? The explicit one. Of course. Because women like sex. Because Shocking. Yeah, but the women liked their explicit raunchy stuff, and so the man who made Harlequin was like, bet? And it was him and Avon. They were the first people to sell romance books in grocery stores. Oh. Because where did housewives frequent in the 1950s and 60s? Grocery stores. The grocery store. Honestly, really smart to sell them in grocery Mm -hmm. stores. Also, why you can go into a grocery store today and you see all those mass markets. I mean, even like James Patterson's and stuff. And I think, I want to say it was Harlequin, because if it wasn't Harlequin, it was Avon. But I think it was Harlequin. Rejected Nora Roberts' first book. Fuck. Yeah. And then she obviously became like one of the most prolific, successful women authors. But yeah, so there were ebbs and flows to like how modest the Hmm. romances were. And while you had, you had ones that were like a story of adventure. And then at the end, you know, you share this chaste kiss and you're done. Oh, you've saved me. Kiss, happily ever after. Yeah. It's goodbye. But then out of the woodwork, these women started writing violent, violent porn. This is from A Natural History of the Romance Novel, which is Pamela Regis's book that we sell in the store. So when Avon came around, they mainlined cheap, pulpy, damsel in distress, but not to fear because a hot man is capable of everything and is here to rescue you type of romances, which were also dubbed bodice rippers. Hey, we know that term. We know that term. So for example, there was this romance author, her name is Rosemary Rogers, and she was making $1 million a year in 1977 selling romance books, but would write about, I think she wrote the book Sweet Savage Love. Sweet Savage Love? Okay. The main character gets raped, and then she gets raped a second time, and then she has to go through like all of this stuff. I have a question that I am prefacing by saying only applies to this specific situation. In these books, is the rape supposed to be hot? Like, Uh, are those the sex scenes in the books? I think that they... It's difficult because then there's also... We sell this one in the store, but there's The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Woodyweiss. Yeah. And that one also has a lot of rape. So I don't know the answer to that question because I have not read them. So I don't know if that could it, be something. If it's like a non-con type of situation. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Non-con is like it's it's technically non-consensual sex within a romance novel, which presumes that there is a level of 
consent that the reader has. Yeah. Even if the even if the main heroine doesn't have it, and that that consent that the reader has, I think makes it easier to read non-com yeah. scenes. Like I feel like a good example would be in what the fuck is it called? In Akatar, in A Court of Thorns and Roses, when they're under the mountain and Reese gets her really drunk and has her like dance up all on all up on him and he's like, I'm doing this, you won't remember it. But he's doing it for her, but it would be traumatizing to like have to do this thing. So he's like, I'm gonna give you this alcohol so you don't remember, remember it in the it. morning. And it's like very kind of gray area, but it's also coming from a place of like him trying to protect her. So I think we would call that like dubcon, which is going to be like dubious consent where Got it. there's going to be more at play because it's not necessarily... Se- they don't have sex. Right. She just like grinds on him yeah. essentially. I don't know what you would call that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're, they're, that is a trope though. But yeah, so basically romance has always been really explicit. Did you know that... of bodice rippers depict rape. What? 54%. Where did you get that? That is from the book, The Romance Revolution by Carol Thurston. Holy fuck. Has, when was that? 1987. So I wonder, I'm sure the number has gone down since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine that. I was talking to someone at the store and I can't remember who it was, but they were saying that a lot of the consent stuff, initially it was so murky because women couldn't outright say that they wanted to have violent sex, that they wanted to have rough sex so that... Do you remember who said that to you? No. (laughs) If it was you, please... Please email Fuck. us. Please email because us. Because that's actually a really good point. I think it's interesting to see that 54% of historical bodice rippers depicted rape. Yeah. Because there is still a very vocal, very dedicated arm of romance readers who want to read dark romances. Like you said with your mafia romance. Yeah. Was there rape in your mafia romance? Yes. It doesn't actively happen, but a character describes being raped. Interesting. As a consumer and as a reader, be careful yeah. of what you read. Because even though I didn't necessarily identify with that the character's experience of being raped, I still was like so upset by it. It's so upsetting to read. So just be be careful. The author, Anna Huang, has a QR code at the beginning of her books Ugh. that you can scan for trigger warnings. I love it. Yeah. For her Twisted series? Yeah. Yeah, that's really Which cool. is so I good. that's the move. Because here's the thing. Again, as long as you are honest with your audience and your audience knows that I think Mm -hmm. your audience is going to be really receptive to like anything that you put in it I mean it's why with like Penelope Douglas for example she can throw in a bully trope right and it can be fucking ruthless and polarizing but the people who love her love her and they're going to keep reading her bully romances until they can no longer read yeah exactly Um, and she makes it clear to her audience that this is what these themes are going to include. Also on Goodreads, you can sometimes read about, they have like content warnings or trigger warnings yeah. and descriptions. Always look at them. Oh, my last thing. Don't you think it's interesting, Piper, that older romance books had super sexy covers, right? Mm-hmm. But then you would open them up and for the most part, they're pretty modest. Yeah. And nowadays you have people like Tess Bailey yeah. who are coming in with like, the cutest covers ever. Darling. Not sexual, illustrated, cute, you know, whatever. And then they are absolutely 
fucking filthy. It, it's incredible. It, and I think that it's a fascinating marketing turn. It's literally switched. It's completely flipped. And yeah. I hope that we go back to kind of the clinch covers. I think they're so fun. Yeah, but I backs and stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. But I do also love, well, I don't love it, but I understand why people do it because we have people who come into the store and they're like, oh, I don't want this cover because I don't want people to know that I read romance. And so I completely understand it. Like I think from a marketing perspective, it's brilliant. And I also love that it's then more about the couple rather than the sexual yeah, aspect of exactly. it. But I also think they're really fun. Like Katie Roberts' Dragon, Dragon Bride, Bride cover is insane. Or in I the am, back, it looks like that. I am obsessed. Yeah. But it's fascinating to see the way like the ideals have kind of Shifted. changed. Yeah. And I feel like too, coming out of the pandemic mm-hmm. has... I think made people more comfortable with being seen with romance books. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think book talk, I mean, book talk just completely shifted that. Exactly. The comfort that people have now to be like sitting in public reading like addicted to you. Yeah. And whatever versus in the past. Also, I mean, I guess housewives were reading these pulpy romance books back in the day. Yeah. And I guess those like also weren't the books that were like in the living room. Exactly. Those were books that were like in your bedside table. Exactly. That you would read when everyone else went to bed. Yeah. Like when the in-laws are over, they're not going to see. And you know that they would sell like 40 million copies of one book. It's crazy. The romance genre coming to grocery stores and coming to places where housewives often frequented completely changed the way that people even consumed literature as a whole. Absolutely. You, You opened the world to so many more people becoming literate so mm-hmm. they could read these books that were now you know suddenly really accessible because they were you know published on cheap paper and whatever yeah that's one thing that i love about romance in general is that it feels more accessible and i've had people reach out to me and friends say i want to i haven't been reading i want to get back into reading what should i start with and i'm like start with a romance novel Always. because it's so much fun it is and you're not gonna want to feel like you're not gonna feel shitty after reading a romance novel hopefully yeah and there's something about the plot and something about understanding like we were saying earlier like knowing that there's going to be a happy ending that allows you to get through the book and it makes you want to finish the book because you know it's going to be happy and there's a part of you too especially in that last the last stretch of a romance book Mm -hmm. where you spend the time not knowing if it's going to resolve and that gives you a lot of it gives you that fuel to like want to keep reading to basically try to finish as soon and as fast as possible yeah even though you know that it is going to end happy exactly and I think it takes that like academic pressure off of yourself I mean, I had a ton of trouble learning how to read. I didn't learn how to read until I was seven. And then once I figured it out, I loved it. But I also have ADD and I had trouble finishing books. And so it took a very special kind of book to get me to get me to finish it. Right. And romance was one of the things that got me really back into reading during college was reading these books that were fun and that I knew were going to turn out okay. Exactly. I realized that I learn so much from romance. Yes. You learn more about the way that people act, how people are motivated, people's, what they care about. I mean, there are so many different things that you can learn about social behavior. I think there's also something about romance that allows you to suspend your disbelief, which is really, I think, important. So you have the umbrella term of romance, and then you have the subgenres underneath of that. And then within those subgenres, you have what we call tropes. Yes. Which are going to be plot devices Mm -hmm. that are familiar to the audience Mm -hmm. in some way. We have some really popular ones. Let's see if we can remember as many as we can. Absolutely. We can use books as examples. Sure. Too. 
I would say like my favorite trope is fake dating. I love when a couple has to pretend to date. I think that the love hypothesis is a great example of that. I'm trying to think of... Also, love hypothesis is a great example of um, a really fun play on the one bed trope. Yes. Because in chapter 16, for all of you who know the chapter, just like me, they are in the hotel room where where the whole time Olive is like, oh my God, there's only going to be one bed. There's only yeah. one bed. Oh my God. And then they get into the hotel room. There's two beds. Yeah. So she's like, oh, thank God. And then they end up only using one, one bed. bed. And so the there's only one bed trope is applied really interestingly there. Allie Hazelwood just genius, unmatched in, Absolute. Her, in her trope work. Brilliant. Brilliant. Other tropes, enemies to lovers, the classic. classic enemies. We don't like each other right. to lovers. Every time the enemies become lovers, I'm like, what? No <laughs> fucking way. Shocked. Each time it starts to, I'm like, how are they going to convince me that yeah. they're going to fall in love? There's no way. And each time at the end, I'm like, oh, I know. And within enemies to lovers, there's also, I would say, rivals to lovers. Yes. There's bully romances, mm-hmm. bully tropes, where it either could be like mutual bullying or like a one-sided bully that, you know, ends up turning into love. Mm-hmm. Speaking of like one-sided, there's grumpy sunshine. Yes. Which is a great trope. It's when someone is grumpy, the other one is sunshiny. I was trying to think of like a good, oh, like a good uh, pop culture reference. And I would say April and Andy from Parks oh. and Racks are like the perfect example yeah, of Grumpy I Sunshine. I didn't watch Parks and Rack and I... And you know that? Yeah. yeah there, there's Fourth Proximity, which is a great one. So it's, you know, forcing two people to be in a situation where they don't necessarily want to be together. So that might include that they're snowed in. Yeah. Um, they're, they're they have to work together on a project. Right. They have to go on a road trip. They have to be at like the same event. Right. Happens a lot with like weddings mm-hmm. where it's like, well, I don't like you, but we're stuck at this wedding. So yeah. we might as well. Christina Lauren's The Unhoneymooners a great example of a fun play on forced proximity yes. because they willingly both choose to go on the honeymoon. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, you're forced to stay in the same place. With yeah. Them. There also is friends to lovers, childhood friends to lovers, but also yeah. like adult friends to lovers. And both of those are going to be pretty different in the way that I think the love story is explained mm-hmm. because the one has that nostalgia and that yearning that has existed for years before the book even starts. Right. Versus ones, I would say people we meet on vacation, mm-hmm. which is going to be more of... They no, met in college. They met in college, exactly. So it's more like adulthood. Yeah. There's like a best friend's brother. Coworker. Coworker. I mean, maybe that falls almost into like a forbidden love trope yeah you know the idea that like oh i've fallen in love with this person who i'm not supposed to be in love with but i can't help it the twisted series from yes anna huang there are so many um birthday girl by penelope birthday girl by penelope douglas Um, if you want a book about screwing your boyfriend's dad easy go there marriage of convenience which we kind of talked about with both seasons of bridgerton yes well that would have been i guess the novels yeah where we're getting married to either prove something to protect one of us but then oh my god we're in love we're actually in love and i would say that marriage of convenience kind of assumes that you're gonna have like a there's only one bed trope that it's gonna yeah. have a forced proximity trope because exactly. it's these two people who and fake dating i mean they all kind yeah. of go alike in what I think it's trying to make the audience feel, which is the whole thing of we have to pretend, but we're actually in love. Yeah, exactly. Some other ones, Insta Love. Insta Love. We have some, 
I think popular books that are insta-love quoted by Helen Wong. Yeah. Some other insta-loves, Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman. The main character, she is pretty much already in love with the guy who plays James Bond from the moment that she meets him. But it's a slow burn. Yeah, what trope do you think you are? Uh, well, you said it. You, I did when say When I did it. walk in today to start recording, Piper was like, you kind of are grumpy sunshine. And that, like, you're both. And I think that's probably a really good way to describe it because yeah. I feel like internally I'm like dark and brooding but then I also love love you're very you're you're very mushy yeah like I'm very I'm a very mushy person yeah but you're also like very externally edgy looking yeah I am I, I have tattoos and I'm wearing a hooter shirt right now more romance tropes pregnancy trope oh pregnancy trope Let's see. That one's self-explanatory. We got some... Where they get pregnant. I guess, like, who did this to you? I don't know if that's a trope or a... I don't know what that is, but... Seeking revenge type of thing? Yeah. Betrayal, revenge, yeah. where something happens usually to the heroine and then her enemy sees that she has a scar and he's like, who the fuck did this to exactly. you? And she's like, oh, it's nothing. And he's like, I'm going to go kill whoever touched you. <laughs> From Blood and Ash. Also, there's, again, captive, captor, prisoner right. romances, which kind of fit into that dark territory. Mm -hmm. You have like the alpha male trope. Love, love an alpha Which male. I would say also fits into that, like, I'll fucking kill whoever fucking touched you. Yeah, exactly. Which I love. Uh, reverse harem. I'm waiting for you. Tessa Bailey's reverse harem book to come out. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I love Tessa Bailey. A billionaire trope. And I will say too, it's so interesting how pop culture and events happening in real time also affect the way that people write and read romances. Mm -hmm. So like coming out of the 2008 recession, people loved a billionaire romance. Well, yeah, because that's like right around when Fifty Shades blew up, right? right? Exactly. It's like 2011. And then we had, I feel like the first two like billionaire romances that I remember were Fifty Shades and Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even like Beautiful Bastard. Exactly. Um, and listen, Hate to Want You by Alicia Ray. I don't that. think that billionaires should exist, but there is something so hot about a man in a romance novel being like, it's fine. On me. I am here to take care of you. There's also Tiffany Rice's novels, yeah. which were really popular in the, in the early 2010s. Uh-huh which were billionaire romances. There's also, I mean, I would say any of the CEO romances that also yeah. exist kind of play into that similar. And those usually play into like the alpha male tropes. Oh, there's the miscommunication trope, which is probably the trope I hate the most, which is where something happens and either one character overhears something that they're not supposed to hear or Ugh. thinks of like, here's something out of context. And then that's what causes the third act breakup when like, if you guys had just talked to each other, none of this would have happened. I do think, however, that Sally Rooney does miscommunication very, very well yeah. because it's not like a stupid accidental thing that you miss, like that you overheard. Mm -hmm. It's like, it is the inability to communicate. Oh, see, I like that where it's like, for example, like in, I know we've been talking about this one a lot, but Love Hypothesis is the one that sticks out for me because it's when Olive... Or when Adam, Olive mentions something to Adam where she's like, other boys are talking to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he thinks like, oh, she's. Oh, she's she says that she's into this. a guy. That's and she's talking was. about Adam. Yeah. But he doesn't know that exactly. she's talking about him. Exactly. And so he's like, oh, she must meet, she must like really like somebody else. So I'm not going to try or like, yeah. I'm not even going to try to make this a thing, whatever. I think that's great. Like yeah. that's like a misunderstanding. Versus the Sally Rooney one, which again, makes sense that that's more of like an inability to communicate because that is a 
larger scale problem that mm-hmm. I don't think, or I feel like if it was explored in a, in a true romance would be resolved by the end of the novel, which is not always the case with the Sally Reno. And she, so much of her stuff is based in class. And I think yeah. especially in normal people, so much of the tension between Marianne and Connell is because of their wealth disparity. And like one of the reasons they break up at one point is because he goes back home for the summer and she's still in Dublin, I think. So I do think that like that miscommunication is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I would also say that kind of reminds me of Again the Magic by Lisa Claypaws. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. It's kind of like a prince and pauper, or I guess oh. princess and pauper situation, second chance romance after time has gone on. But mm-hmm. um, how a breakup can start because of a misunderstanding, because of class disparity in general. Absolutely. It's really fascinating. I mean, Pride and Prejudice, that's the whole thing. You might be poor. And your family might be crazy. I wonder if there's a trope where it's fucking bad proposals. I'm sure that's a trope. I'm sure that's a trope too. And if it's not, you can make it one. You can start it. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing about tropes is that odds are when you open a romance book, you're going to be getting like 10 to 20 tropes. Yeah. Within one book. So basically we wanted to go over all of those things to just kind of give everybody an overview of what to expect when you're listening. Because we're going to be mentioning all of these things. Mm Mm-hmm multiple times yeah across every single one of the podcasts that we do we should Um, have like a glossary page on the website i agree i think that would be really helpful we can include uh tropes that we talk about and we can include like the episodes in which we talk about them Mm -hmm. as we continue recording and making more of these podcast episodes we will start to discern which tropes we want to focus on during which week and then you know we'll give you guys more information about that and then you know you can look forward to your trope being mentioned by us in one of our episodes absolutely yeah because we'll cover a lot of them at length we sure will because there's a lot of them there really are we won't run out of content that's for sure that is for fucking sure yeah so i would say that that kind of wraps up the intro romance 101 Mm -hmm. do you you have anything else that you want to add no i don't think so right we covered some history we covered the breakdown of what everything looks like i think so let us know what your favorite tropes are in that case we can start doing research for different trope episodes absolutely but yeah We'll be back with more tropes. We'll be back with more analysis of books that are popular or upcoming. Absolutely. And we will be looking forward to all of your inputs as well. So we can, you know, take what you guys want us to do and do it. Because that's literally why we are here. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, yeah, we are here for you, quite literally. 100%. At the store and on the podcast. And on the pod. Yeah. So we'll be back. We love you dearly. Bye. Lace and Debauchery is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.